0: It was a boiling, and I mean a boiling hot, Texas day. And if you've ever been in Texas in the middle of the summer, you know what I'm talking about. Because it can get really, really hot down there. And my wife and I were traveling south to San Antonio in our blue 99 Jeep Cherokee. Making tracks so excited about where we were heading. So we're barreling down the interstate, it's boiling hot, and then the air conditioning goes out in the car, and I can feel the ceiling heating up, but still, because we knew where we were heading, we were that much more excited, because there was going to be ultimate relief at the end of this journey. So we're traveling, we're traveling, we're getting closer, and then we get there. The place is called the Schlitterbahn. Has anybody heard of the Schlitterbahn? You know what I'm talking about. The world's biggest water park. We're looking for a parking space. The car is getting hotter and hotter and hotter. We're sweating like crazy. We're there in our bathing suits. Everything just served as as a stronger and stronger component to get us where we wanted to go. We find our parking space. It was like a miracle. It just opened up close to the gate. We jump out of the car, so excited. We're trying to get through that gate as quick as we can. We've left everything in the car except for one thing. I'm carrying the car keys in my pocket. Now, to stop and get a locker would have taken about two more minutes. And I just decided that was way too long. It would also have cost 75 cents. I mean, who wants to spend 75 cents on a locker? when that blue relief is waiting just past the sidewalk. So I said, let's just go for it. I've got this this back pocket in my trunks right here. It's got a, a loose Velcro strap on it. I'm sure it'll be just fine. So we get in there. We're enjoying the day. We get on this one ride called the Dragon Blaster. It's this water roller coaster, and you get on it, and there's these water jets that are Blasting you up one hill and down the other, and we get on it and we're yelling, we're having a great time. We get to the end of it, I reach to my back pocket and see that it is turned inside out. Oh boy, yeah. So, what had been perfect relief is now turned into anxiety. Now, instead of paying the 75 cents for the locker. I end up paying $110 to the locksmith that's got to come to the car, make us a new key, get it unlocked. Now, I think you've been there. For whatever reason, you abandoned the knowledge that you had because something better seemed to be awaiting, right? You were so eager to get that boat in the water. What did you do? You forgot to put the plug in. Right? I've heard you're not a true boater, by the way, until you put the boat in the water and forget to put the plug in. Um, fill in the blank. I've got countless stories like this. There was a time in eighth grade that I waited till the night before my West seventy five page West Virginia scrapbook was due and I waited till the night before to start it. Not a good idea. There was a time I tried to get a suntan. <laughs> I'll just let the story in there. It did not go well. Red and blisters is what resulted. There was a time I got Copenhagen in my eye. I'm not, even going, I'm not going to go into that story either right now. It's when you know better. But for whatever reason, something is driving you. Maybe it was to impress somebody. Maybe it was impatience. Maybe it was ego. That you abandon the good truth, the good knowledge that you have, and go and do something you wish you wouldn't have. There's a name for that. It's called foolishness. And we're all guilty. We've all been there before. And you know, there's the sort of silly stories, right? There's, the dumb, there's the, the dumb things we've all done. And it seems like the, as we get older, the foolishness, it can deepen. Um, it's when we get into relationships, right, that we know we shouldn't. It's when we turn to the bottle, instead of dealing with whatever thing that is, whatever that thing is that's causing us to go to the bottle. Or whatever it may be. It points to something that we're all desperately in need of, the absence of something, something that uh, I think we'd all agree is missing in the world today. And that something is wisdom. It's wisdom. We all need it, particularly the kind of wisdom that we're going to be talking about today. So the subject we're going to talk about today is how to live a wise life. How to live a wise life or how to walk with wisdom. The passage we'll be in is Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians 5 verses 15 through 21. And if you would please stand for the reading of God's word. Therefore, be very careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, taking advantage of every opportunity because the days are evil. For this reason, do not be foolish, but be wise by understanding what the Lord's will is. And do not get drunk with wine, which is debauchery, but be filled by the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music in your hearts to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for each other in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Thank you. You may be seated. We've been working our way through the book of Ephesians in a series called Learning to Walk, Paul teaching these churches that are newly formed um, how do you conduct the Christian life. And we've been in this series uh, for several weeks now, And today we're going to answer two questions. Two questions. One, why should I be wise? Or rather, why should I seek wisdom? And then how do I become wise? How do I become wise? We'll seek to answer those two questions. And we see the answers there in verses 15 and 16 to the first question. That's where we'll start. So in verses 15 and 16, he says there, be very careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, taking advantage of every opportunity because the days are evil. We've been talking a lot up to this point about how to walk. When the Scriptures talk about how to walk, they're talking about how do you go about living life, literally. How do you walk around and do life? Paul's talked about walking in unity, walking in holiness, walking in love, walking in light. Now we get to this last section that we'll be going over in Ephesians. He tells them how to walk in wisdom, I'm going to break this sermon up actually into two weeks. Next week, we'll talk about how to apply wisdom. Today, we'll talk about these two questions, why to become wise and how to become wise. So two things Paul says to the church in Ephesus. And the first is be careful how you're living. Another way to, to say this would be to watch your step. And Whenever I, I think about that, I, I picture a, a, a man walking through a minefield. A soldier having to carefully gauge where each step is going to go because each step he takes is going to have consequences. Very real consequences. Life can be like this. It can be like walking through a minefield sometimes. Have to be very mindful of every step you're taking, every choice you're making, each and every day. There in verse 16, he says the days are evil. Now, Have you ever imagined what did free time look like back then? So like there were no cell phones or Netflix or fill in the blank. But still, Paul is saying, these days are evil. Have you ever stopped to think about how is it that you are spending your time? Have you ever thought about that? Actually, last year, the, Huff, the uh, Huffington Post did a study on how people live out their years. So everyone, they're going to say, lives on average about 79 years or so. Now, if you're over that, you're defying the odds. Don't, don't get worried, okay? <laughs> by, by God's grace, we'll all live past that, but on average, we live about 79 years. So that was the starting place for this study. So going on from there, of those 79, you're going to spend about 26 years sleeping okay, plus an additional seven years trying to sleep. So you'll spend about 33 years of your life in bed. I know you. some of you want to be there right now. Well, you're not, okay, right? You're here, and good. And then in addition to that, you'll spend an additional 13 years working. Okay, now that's, you've got to, you know, think about stacking up all the time. I know you you think, well, I've worked 20 years. Well, if you just bunched all that time together, you'd work about 13 years plus an additional year of unpaid overtime. You'll spend about, and this, was, this is a tough one, over the course of your lifetime, you'll spend about 11 years looking at screens. Now, that is not working on your computer during the average workday. That's in addition to the workday. That's the movies and the TV and the social media, okay? You'll spend about 11 years doing that. Just let that sink in a minute. You'll spend about three years on vacation. You'll spend about one year exercising, give or take. Um, Then on average, humans spend just about a year on romance and that's dating and blind buying flowers and, and things like that. You got somebody choked up there talking about romance. We also spend about four and a half years eating. Again, give or take. Okay, give or take. When it's all said and done, you've got about 8.2 years that you've got to figure out what you're going to do. Okay? You've got about 8.2 years. That's 2,997 days. What will that be? How are you going to spend that time? You know, history is full of good examples of people who chose to spend their time wisely. Um, for example, Jonathan Edwards, uh, the philosopher, theologian, he played a huge role in the Great Awakening back in the mid-1700s. He said this. He had, he had these resolutions that he wrote. He said, I resolved, and he wrote this just before his 20th birthday, never to lose one moment of time but to improve it in the most profitable way I possibly can. Just before he was 20. Man, I wish somebody told me that back when I was 20. There's also another uh, reformer, Philip Melanchthon. And he kept a record of every single wasted moment, every day. And at the end of the day, he would take it to the Lord in confession. No wonder God used these men in such great ways. Look at how how involved they were, how conscientious they were of how they were spending every moment. Now, I would challenge you to do something like this sometime. Just decide one day to just keep a journal. How am I spending my time today? Or at the end of the day, look back on it and think, okay, how did I spend the time that I had today? Because I... To be honest, when I think about the amount of cat videos I might see in a given day, or how much political commentary I've probably read on Facebook in a given day, it kinda haunts me. It really does. Paul says to make good use of every opportunity, but why, and we see the reason. He says, because the days are evil. Now what does that mean? That carries the idea of them being troubling, or disastrous, or wretched, or poor, or incompetent. Now think for a moment, where Paul was when he wrote this. He was sitting in a jail cell. He'd been in prison there for spreading, he'd been in prison there for spreading the gospel in Rome. So he's sitting there in a jail cell, and what is he doing? He's writing letters to churches, Colossians, Ephesians. Um, He's making good use of his time. they've, They've used the phrase before, making hay while the sun shines, right? that's what Paul's doing here he's not having a pity party he's not questioning the goodness of God he's not overwhelmed with the circumstances so evil times means that there are there are many opportunities for us to waste time I wonder what Paul would say about the times that you and I are living in wasting time is actually harmful to God's kingdom Now think about those 11 years that we spend with a screen in front of us. You know, the reality is, I don't have my cell phone in my pocket, but do you know that you practically have the world's libraries sitting right there on your cell phone that you're carrying around with you every single day? What if you used part of that time, some of those 11 years, to browse something that was actually going to be beneficial? You yeah, know, there's unrelenting warfare going on between the God of heavens and the God of this age. So what do we do? You yeah, know, I think it's very important as believers that we plan our time, that we plan it out, that we think ahead of time, how am I going to use this day? And I'm trying to get back in the habit of planning my own time out, and i It's so important. You can't get into this habit early enough. I'm going to challenge you to take 10 minutes this afternoon, as a matter of fact, to just plan out what tomorrow could look like. Because I think we all have high aspirations, right? We want to read this and that. We want to spend time with this person or that person. But If you don't plan it, it's probably not going to happen. And it's not too early to start doing this. If you are here and you are if you are six, seven, eight, 10, just think about tomorrow. Think about if nothing else, what time will you do your homework tomorrow evening? Schedule it. And this is going to sound crazy, but you know what also is good to schedule? Is a little time to do nothing. Actually, doing nothing can be extremely beneficial. There's, there's studies that prove this. Um, it's time for reflection and contemplation. They say this is actually essential to health, sanity, and personal growth. And there's even some research that suggests that doing nothing is essential for creativity and innovation. Although it seems inactive, you're actually cultivating new insights. So plan a little time to do nothing. So first of all, when we talk about wisdom, you can walk with wisdom by planning your time. Plan your time. Have a plan on how to use it. I want to move on to the second question now, why do we need to become wise? And it says there uh, in the passage, "Because the days are evil. there are infinite things that would like to steal our time, and our opportunities to do the good we need to do are limited. That means you're going to have to sacrifice. There's going to be things that you really, really want to do, that you may need to let go. If God were to show up here today, in person, and say, tomorrow, I want you to spend half the time on Facebook that you did today, you know what? I think we would all breathe a sigh of relief. Oh, okay, I, I can do that. I mean, I, I'm not going to move, am I? Okay, I can stay off Facebook half the time. We'd be relieved so then we move on to the next question we've already touched on this but then how do we become wise we'll move on then to verse 17 it says for this reason do not be foolish but be wise by understanding what the Lord's will is and by the way you may not know this you know that atheists have an official holiday now it's April 1st <laughs> because the scriptures say in Psalm 14 one of the fool says in their heart there is no God that's April Fool's Day by the way if you didn't, didn't catch that So you could say that the first step away from foolishness is simply by believing that there is a God, a creator, that things didn't just spring out of a vacuum by their own power. Okay? Jesus in the the Gospels denounced the Pharisees as fools because they were doing everything to appear clean on the outside. He called the rich farmer a fool in Luke chapter 12 because he was wanting to build bigger barns and he wasn't prepared for eternity. He could have called Chad Cowan a fool on many occasions. I've mentioned a few of them. There's countless things. There was, it was tying a G.I. Joe man to the end of a ceiling fan blade. I just, it just about destroyed the fan, almost burnt the house down. Let's just keep going. That, the, the list is long. It is the fool who was unable to apply knowledge to living. It is the one who is unable to apply knowledge to living. They know things. There are very smart people that can act very foolishly. Um, This includes what Paul says here. To understand the will of God pertains to gaining wisdom. So a big part of becoming wise is to understand the will of God. So the next question is, well, how do I do that? How do I understand what the will of God is? And there's three things here I want to mention to you. I will confess first that one of my least favorite sermon applications are simply to tell you that you need to read your Bible and pray more. Because I grew up, and it seemed like that was every week the pastor was telling us at the end of the sermon, well, ultimately you need to read your Bible and pray more, read your Bible and pray more. Well, I'm going to tell you that if you want to understand the will of God, you got to read your Bible and pray, Okay? So we'll talk about the first one. You've got got to be reading the Scriptures, but not just reading the Scriptures. You need to be understanding the Scriptures. And there's a difference. That means you may need to use resources to understand what the Word of God is telling you. I use commentaries. God gifts people to teach, and those teachers write books about what the Word of God is saying. One great resource is something called the Bible Knowledge Commentary. Um, the Old and New Testament, it's, it's a two-volume set. It's a great resource to have. There's others out there. If you want to go deeper in some books, uh, you can talk to me if you're interested in finding out what good resources are. Um, so we need to be uh, in the Word of God. In Psalm 119, 105, David said, Your Word is a light to my path, a lamp to my feet. So God's Word guides us. If we're going to know God's will in a dark world, we have to follow the light of his word. Then in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, it says that the word of God equips the man of God for all righteousness. We've never had more information available to us. Again, I'll say it again, on our phones. You can get incredible Bible study resources right there on your phones. And by the way, one-year Bible plans are great. But I, I would much rather people take their time and take Three, four, five years to get through the Word of God and actually understand what it is they're reading, learning about how to apply it to life, as opposed to just cranking through it in a year. You know, they used to say a chapter a day to keep the devil away. Understand what you're reading. So read it to to understand and apply. Then second, be in prayer. Prayer for understanding what God's will is. And in, in James 1, 5, it says, If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives liberally. So if we are to know God's will, we have to be in prayer. Ask for understanding. And I hope that every day you'll be praying and asking God for wisdom. Make that part of your morning, maybe before you even get out of bed. Lord, give me wisdom today. Then finally, be part of a Christian community. Be in Christian community. That means meeting regularly with Christians. Now, it's, I'm thankful for every single person here this morning. There is a difference in being shoulder-to-shoulder with people and in being in community with people. It can be very uncomfortable at times to be in community with other Christians because it means you're being vulnerable. It means you're being known and knowing other people. But that is exactly what it is God would have us to be in. As a matter of fact, we see God in community with Himself, the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in community with each other, enjoying each other, encouraging each other, edifying each other. We have a lot of ways you can get plugged in in a deeper way here at First Baptist Church. As a matter of fact, if you, if you look in your bulletin, you'll see a sheet there that's got all kinds of small groups that meet throughout the week. We've got small groups that meet in people's homes throughout the week. There's ways to get plugged in there. But that's what it means to be in community. As a matter of fact, Much of what Paul is saying to this church in Ephesus is being said on the assumption that they are all in community. You'll see as we go on uh, through this passage that if you are not in community, these verses are not going to make sense. So it's important that we are in community. So that is how you understand God's will. Studying the scriptures, praying and being in community. Start there and then just keep moving, keep trusting, keep believing. So, walk in wisdom first by planning your time, secondly, by understanding God's will. So, Paul's now explained to these Christians, this Ephesian church, that they are to use their minds to understand the will of God. Use your mind to understand it. Uh, that is what wise people do. So, then we're going to continue answering this question of how to become wise in the next set of verses, 18 through 21. Paul says there, And do not get drunk with wine, which is debauchery, but be filled by the Spirit speaking to each other in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Let's, let's just stop there for just a moment. Verse 18, and do not get drunk with wine. Did, that was pretty straightforward. We all get that, right? Don't overdo it. Paul's saying don't get drunk. It's, it's pretty clear. This is in opposition to using your mind. This is yielding control to something that the, Holy, that the Holy Spirit... This is yielding control to something in hopes that it will provide something that only the Holy Spirit can. Now wine was prevalent in Paul's time. It was a normal part of being a Jew or a Gentile. But Paul's saying don't overdo it. As a matter of fact, a, a near contemporary of Paul, actually was, I believe, a little before Paul's time, Aristotle, uh, he used that same Greek word, asotia. Speaking of drunkenness, he says that people with this vice are prodigals who waste their substance and are in the path of ruination of their own lives. It speaks to wastefulness of life and being without restraint, a disorderly life characterized by a lack of restraint. I want to add something here because I know this, this is something that gets a hold of people and can just viciously not let go. And if you are struggling through this right now. I want you to know that we love you, and we care about you, and we want you here. We want you part of this community. We want to encourage you as you seek to beat this habit. Be here. Be with us. So Paul's saying, don't be under the control of alcohol, but he says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the contrast uh, is with the drunkenness here, but, and, and, and you've got to ask the question, what is it people go to alcohol for? It's because it seems to be promising something, right? They call it happy hour for a reason. (sighs) Don't be foolish. And I like what John Piper says about this. He says, where do you turn when the days are evil, when you are frightened or discouraged or depressed or anxious? Paul pleads with us, don't turn to alcohol, turn to the Spirit. Anything of value that alcohol can bring you, God the Holy Spirit can bring more. This is one of the problems of our our time. We believe that the only way we can be happy and carefree is by drugging ourselves. Paul is saying that there is a better way to cope with the evil of our time. It's a joy so strong, it's a joy so sustaining, that your reaction to it will be to sing praises to God. God. Even the psalmist in the Old Testament uh, experienced this. He says in Psalms 4, verses 7 and 8, You, O Lord, have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. So then, I want to turn our attention now to this filling of the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to be filled with or by the Holy Spirit? And then how do we do it? right? This is a core verse of the New Testament. Swindoll will actually say this is one of the most key verses for Christian living in the New Testament, is this filling of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a lot going on in this very short phrase, so I want to make some observations. Um, First of all, note that this is an imperative verb. Be filled, he's saying, so it's a command. It's not a suggestion, not a recommendation. God is commanding us to be filled. Now, this is difficult to see in English, but it's also a plural verb. It's a second-person plural. Now, there's a, there's a second-person plural word that we use down in Texas. It's y'all. He's saying, y'all be filled. Now, if I already have already had one person say, look, Chad, when you say y'all, we don't know what you mean. It means you all, okay? That means you all. Saying you all be filled. So it's a command. It's plural. But this is the interesting part. It's in the passive voice. Now, what does that mean? That means it is something that is done to us. This filling is something that is done to us. One one, uh, Bible translation says, let the Spirit fill your life. Another version says, be filled by the Spirit. Now, in that fact alone, I hope you don't find anxiety. I hope you find hope and peace. Um... The filling of the Holy Spirit isn't just something that is based on your ability. It's something that God is doing to us. Let's keep going. It's a command. It's plural to all of us. It's, it's passive, meaning that it's done to us. Then finally, it's in the present tense. That means it's continually happening. It happens and it happens. And it's this continual feeling, filling over the lifetime of the believer By the Holy Spirit. It keeps going. Unlike other ministries of the Holy Spirit that happen at the moment of conversion, at the moment of conversion, we are indwelt by the Spirit, we're sealed by the Spirit, we're baptized into the family of God by the Spirit. This is something that keeps on going. So, what is it that we can compare this to? It's like learning to walk. When you were a child, very, very young, you started taking a tiny step, and that was a magnificent achievement. And then soon we took another step and another step. We'd fall, we'd get up again. And then before you know it, you're walking and you're not even thinking about it. You're just doing it. It's part of who you are. It's part of what you do. You're not conscious of it, but it's part of your day-to-day life. This is like being filled by the Spirit. As a believer, it's continually happening. We see examples in the New Testament that it happens in instances when you're facing a big trial. Uh, when, When Barnabas was filled with the Spirit, there were people coming to faith, the book of Acts tells us. So, it's like learning to walk. And I want to talk now for a moment about this control aspect. Because this filling notion carries with it the idea that a man is complete, or a woman is completely controlled and that they are stamped by the powers that fill them. And I love this quote by Warren Wearsby. I find this very helpful. He says, I, he says, in the Bible, filled means controlled by. They were filled with wrath in Luke 4.28. That meant that they were controlled by their wrath. That's why they were trying to kill Jesus, speaking of the, the Pharisees says that Jews were filled with envy in Acts 13, 45. means that Jews were controlled by envy and opposed to the ministry of Paul and Barnabas. So to be filled by the Spirit means to be constantly controlled by the Spirit in our mind, emotions, and will. Now, if I were to say to you that there was some role that you and I played in the filling of the Holy Spirit, the one word that would come to my mind would be yield. What is it that's controlling us that is in direct opposition to the will of God? Is it bitterness? Is it envy? Is it a desire for revenge? See, those are the pieces that the Holy Spirit is not in control of. That's the flesh. Wouldn't you love to live an anxious, free life? I know I would. Why does God command us not to be anxious? He's also commanding us to be filled. And I pray that as as you increase in your Christian walk, as you go along in your Christian walk, that you would find the anxiety subsiding. The Holy Spirit's filling is everything you and I need from God. It's the grace, it's the joy, it's the peace. This comes from the filling of the Holy Spirit. It is the batteries that power the life of the Christian to do the work God has called us to do. But then we see the results of the filling in verses 19 through 21. Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music in your hearts to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for each other in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. The first it says we speak to each other in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Well, what in the world does that mean? I mean, does that say, is that like I go up to to Paul and say, hey, Paul, amazing, great? No, I don't think that's what this means. This is referring to corporate worship. This is you and I singing praises to God and to each other. See, that's the problem when we don't sing. I am not a great singer. That song you just heard will be the only time you hear me singing a solo here on this stage. <laughs> but that's okay. God does not mind the sound of my voice. So when we hear each other singing, it's encouraging. It's edifying to each other. We sing psalms. That would be something like a, a psalm itself from the, from the book of songs, typically accompanied by a stringed instrument. We also sing hymns. That's talking about A poem that could have been either spoken or put to music at the time. We also sing spiritual songs. These are like odes. Interestingly, in the Old Testament, an ode would be something that was often danced to. We're not asking you to start dancing, but this happened. We see David doing it. This is corporate worship. This is what we're doing together on any given Sunday morning. Then it says, making music in your hearts to the Lord. This is about being so overjoyed with God that you just can't help to make music. Singing, whistling, I don't know. It's when you feel it inside. You know that feeling you get when you're about to do something you really, really love doing? It's like that. Typically, I experience this whenever I've been forgiven for doing something really stupid. In my marriage, typically. And my wife shows me that grace and mercy, that love of God. That's when I feel like this. It's glorifying Christ. It says we're thankful. I can promise you that when we are critical and complaining, we are not being thankful. And it's very easy to be. It's the opposite it's when we're not acting out of our flesh. It's when the Spirit fills us and we're giving thanks in all circumstances. This is so uniquely Christian. You see, the Christian has confidence that no matter how bad the times may get, we have a promise that God's going to work out all things for that which is good. This is why you can be thankful when the misery and the hurt and the pain come. We give thanks. That's part of being filled. That's an impact of being filled with the Spirit. Then finally... We submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Have you ever stopped to think that submitting to someone else is actually a very virtuous thing to do? Now this flies in the face of our culture that tells us you fight until everybody submits to what you want. That is not what the scriptures scriptures are telling us. You see this example that Christ gives us in the Garden of Gethsemane. The night he went the night before he went to the cross, he said, Father, if, pos- if, if possible, let this cup pass from me. But then what does he say? Not my will, but yours be done. We see God himself submitting. So these are the results of being filled with the Holy Spirit. So then to sum it all up, walk in wisdom by one planning your time. Start today, take 10 minutes understanding God's will through Bible study, prayer, and being in community, and then finally being filled by the Holy Spirit. And in closing, I want to leave you a quote about God's wisdom. Uh, this is from J.I. Packer in his book, Knowing God. He says, wisdom is the power to see and the inclination to choose the best and highest goal together with the surest means of attaining it. Wisdom is, in fact, the practical side of of moral goodness as such it is found in its fullness only in god he alone is naturally and entirely and invariable wise please pray with me god give us wisdom give us wisdom to live this life that you've given us wisdom to choose the best and highest goal To know how to spend our time because the days are evil. Lord, show us what parts of our lives we have not fully yielded to the control of the Holy Spirit. We ask it all in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Thank you all so much for coming.